Give Theory a Chance. In this episode, we are joined by Tim Rakuber, an assistant professor of sociology at Smith College and author of Consuming Catastrophe, Mass Culture in America's Decade of Disaster. Tim introduces us to the work of Colin Campbell and discusses how he adapted Campbell's concept of autonomous, self-illusory hedonism to his research on media consumption of disasters. Tim also reflects on the challenges of drawing on theories that transcend disciplinary boundaries. We are here today to talk about Colin Campbell, and I'm just wondering if you give us a short introduction to who he is or what he's known for. Colin Campbell's a sociologist at the University of York uh, who studied the sociology of religion, cultural change, social theory, uh, and consumerism. Uh, he's best known for his 1987 book, The Romantic Ethic and the Spirit of Modern Consumerism, which is really what I'll be discussing today. Now, do you have a sense of how widely read he is in the discipline? Do you, do you have a feeling that he's someone that people across sociology read, or is it more in particular subfields? Yeah, I don't think Campbell's a huge figure in sociology in general, at least not in American sociology. The Romantic Ethic has been cited thousands of times. It was written in response to an oversight or shortcoming in one of sociology's major works, Max Weber's The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. So, you would, you know, you would think he would be widely read, but I'm not sure your average sociologist knows who he is. I would say people who work in sociology of consumption, and that's when I first started graduate training in sociology, I was, I was studying the sociology of consumption. I'd say within that subfield, or maybe what you might call cultural sociology more broadly, Campbell's work is more well-known. So were you in grad school when you first encountered or became aware of his ideas? Actually, as an undergrad, I took a graduate level class at the University of Maryland on sociological theory with George Ritzer, who wrote The McDonaldization of Society and other sort of major texts in, on mass consumption. And then later in grad school at the City University of New York, I took a class on consumer society with, with Sharon Zukin, who wrote uh, books like Naked City and Point of Purchase, which are also about consumption in one way or another. So in both of those classes, Campbell's work came up. But yeah, as early as undergrad, I had, I had heard of him and, and learned a little bit of his core concepts. That's really interesting that he was included in a general theory class within sociology. So was so that theory with a focus on either contemporary theory or even consumption, or was that just the general sociological theory course? I think it might have been contemporary theory, and I think that was maybe just because that's what Ritzer was sort of into at the time. You know, as a, I think he was writing a book about disenchantment, and I think Campbell's work led him there. So I'm pretty sure that George Ritzer was where I first, who first told me about Campbell's work, and it must have been in that context, just as sort of what he was working on then. But that was the class I took with him. Do you recall the moment where you actually read his writing or the, what that experience was like? I did not read his book, The Romantic Ethic and the Spirit of Modern Consumerism, at least not all the way through until I was actually working on my own book, which came out of my dissertation research. So that was when I finally read the whole thing much later and, and fully appreciated what a really rich interdisciplinary, sort of theoretically sophisticated work that it was. Was it the topic that drew you back because it was something you had to read for your dissertation? Or were there certain ideas in there that stuck in your mind and drew you back to the text? I had one of Campbell's core concepts in my mind as I started doing research and figuring out how to theorize my data. And that was a concept that came up uh, in those classes with Ritzer and Zukin. The concept is called autonomous self-illusory hedonism. Um, Campbell uses it as a way to describe the mindset of the modern consumer, uh, but I thought it might help me understand something about uh, my own work on media spectatorship of disasters. Before going in depth with your work, 
Do you mind telling us a bit more about that concept so we have a better grasp of it moving forward? Of course, yeah. So this this concept, autonomous self-illusory hedonism, sometimes shortened just to self-illusory hedonism or imaginative hedonism, is I think a really it's a really great way to understand how consumerism works in or on individuals. On the one hand, modern consumerism is is hedonistic because it's about pursuing pleasures, going after things you might like to eat, might like to wear, might like to experience. But it's not just about sensory pleasures. The pleasures of modern consumerism derive from our fantasies and daydreams about the products and services and experiences that we want to consume. So individuals employ their creative or imaginative powers in order to craft a mental image of the pleasures that uh, various forms of consumption are, are, are going to offer them, right? And that's the nature of consumer desire. So it's hedonistic, but it's autonomous because the individual is, as Campbell says, a virtuoso of feeling and pleasure. We, we get to decide from a huge array of possible goods and services, you know, what we're going to desire, how we'll, and why we'll desire it, you know, what sort of fantastic properties we're going to associate with the latest outfit or gadget or vacation that we've been daydreaming about. And it's, it's self, it's illusory or self illusory because we're kind of, you know, creating our own daydreams about this kind of stuff. The, the fun thing about the concept is that there's this catch to it. And that's because our, our power to imagine pleasures typically exceeds the actual pleasures that things themselves provide. So the act of consuming is always met with a little bit of disappointment or disenchantment. It's never quite as good as we thought it would be to actually wear or eat or experience the things we had been imagining or you know fantasizing about. Right? When I first came across that concept, I felt like, oh yeah, that really does explain a lot about what it means to consume something. Yeah, so that constant desire of want, but that always tied into some level of disappointment. Yeah, absolutely. And so for Campbell, this means that modern consumers always tend to be a bit disappointed with reality and to return again and again to fantasy and imagination, attaching their desires to something new, something novel, and then again being newly disappointed when those desires are, are consummated. So it's this sort of constant cycle of consumerism predicated on fantasy and disenchantment and new fantasy. And then that explains a lot about you know how consumerism works from a kind of social psychological standpoint. So how did your own work get influenced by that idea or how did you draw on it? Well, my book, which is called Consuming Catastrophe, Mass Culture in America's Decade of Disaster, looks at media representations of disasters from the previous decade, September 11th, Hurricane Katrina, the Virginia Tech shootings, and the 2008 financial crisis. And I use a term I coined called empathetic hedonism to explain one of the dominant ways of engaging with the suffering of others that various forms of disaster media encourage. Now, empathetic hedonism is heavily indebted to Campbell's work. I argue that when we consume the suffering of others via mass media, we're engaged in a, an imaginative relationship of empathy with them. But this empathy is always necessarily a bit unfulfilling, right? We never truly know what someone else has gone through. Disasters are really always too big and complex to fully grasp. But in the spirit of modern consumerism, we're simply encouraged to watch more, get more intimate coverage, try harder to understand what others are going through, or focus on a newer or more spectacular or more horrifying disaster the next time, right? So, yeah, I mean, there are, of course, some other theorists whose work helped build that concept out in the book. But you see that the basics of this cycle of imagination and disappointment come from Campbell's self-illusory hedonism. And, and calling it empathetic hedonism is sort of my, my hat tip to that. So there, there's two questions that come from that. So the, the first one I'm wondering is, do you see yourself taking his idea and simply expanding it into a new area, a new topic to explore, and then coming up with a term to describe that shift? Or are you calling into question any of his ideas? 
in this case, I think I'm really inspired by his idea and, you know, bringing it into sort of new domains or putting it into conversation with scholars in communication theory like John Peters, who talk about the kind of gap between, you know, one's own subjective experience and and how you can communicate it and how another pe- person is going to receive it and that there are always sort of, you know, problems there and it's always necessarily unfulfilling. You know, you can't fully take your subjectivity and place it in somebody else. And, you know, I was reading that and then returning to Campbell's ideas and sort of seeing commonalities here or, or areas of synthesis. So I, I see it as a synthesis of, of his idea with some other theories. And then my, my second question that comes from that is thinking about how we use more contemporary theories or theorists. So you brought up that Campbell himself, even in the title of the work, is building on the ideas of Weber, right? And going back to this foundational text in in the discipline, in you building on these ideas, do you feel like you also have to step back and become an expert in Weber? Or as as a researcher who's currently in the field, is it enough to build on someone like Campbell? I mean, that's a good question. I think if my data or my topic was was more centrally focused on consumption or markets or or even, yeah, I mean, I think if it was more about consumption, I would have to sort of situate myself as engaged in conversation with both of them, with both Weber and Campbell. Uh, but I think because I'm, I really sort of pulled uh, Campbell into a more kind of media studies communication kind of theoretical discussion. I don't know if my book uh, cites Weber other than maybe in passing uh, or you know, maybe to help build out the notion of disenchantment a little bit, but not centrally, no. So I didn't feel like I was continuing along those same kind of lines as Campbell. I mean, Campbell's work is really kind of like a mirror image of Weber's work in a way that's really, I think, quite clever. And I wasn't you know, centrally focused on any of that. One of the things that's often celebrated in academia is this idea of being interdisciplinary in some way. And it it seems like you're actually doing that. You're taking the sociologist and like you were saying, putting him in communication with people from communication theory. Is it challenging to work across the disciplines in that way? Or has that been more of just a productive experience for you? I mean, I think intellectually, it's really productive because, you know, you get to make connections that seem maybe even obvious at times, but they're discouraged by the disciplinary boundaries that you come up in, right? And I've always been a person who just wanted to find stuff out. And sometimes when you want to find things out, there are sociological works and soci- sociological theories that that get you there. And other times there are works in media studies or communication or cultural studies that get you there, that help you there. Uh, and a lot of time there is interesting sort of overlap or areas of synthesis. But the way most of us are trained in graduate school doesn't always allow us to sort of see that. So I've found doing interdisciplinary work is really great. It allows you to make connections that other people didn't make, probably because they just weren't exposed to the same combination of disciplinary fields. I think where it's tricky is that when you have to like present your work as belonging to a particular field that you want to get a job in or that you want to publish in or, you know, whatever, then it becomes a a tougher sell. And I think maybe that's one of the things that has prevented the romantic ethic and the spirit of modern consumerism from being sort of fully embraced as, as sociological canon. It's because it's, you know, it's very interdisciplinary work. You know, he's trying to answer sociological questions, but he uses historical methods and literary analysis, and he ends up constructing kind of a a social psychological profile of, of the modern consumer. So it's kind of all over the place. And I think, 
you know, I, I love work like that, but it's difficult to sort of emulate and it's difficult to place within a, a concrete field. Yeah, I'm also constantly amazed at, at by how much of a barrier the ocean provides. So it seems like there's these scholars that you find in the UK who've had profound influence and they're just not quite as widely read when you drift into American sociology. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And especially true for, you know, sociology of, of media and sociology of culture. I think there are a lot of great UK scholars that do that stuff. And I think to a certain extent, that's that kind of work or those kind of topics are a little bit more mainstream among European sociology. At least that's my sense of it. But yeah, that American sociology, I think, is still much more about uh, production than consumption, to say the least. Sometimes it's a little bit of a more difficult question, but I'm curious if your relationship to Campbell's ideas or the work has changed since that first encounter that you had in grad school. So you've been working with these ideas for a bit and you've published this book that was well received. Uh, has anything changed about how you read or use his ideas? Well, I mean, I think the, the thing now is that I, I feel a little bit more ownership. You know, I have my own kind of spin on it or take on it. I feel glad to, you know, as they say, keep the conversation going since Campbell's work was an influence on me and maybe my work will influence some other people. I mean, I don't know if I'll return to the concept myself in future books. I think the disaster book was kind of my main statement on it. And the empathetic hedonism concept is maybe the, the end of my like really substantive engagement at least in terms of producing knowledge, at the end of my substantive engagement with Campbell. But, you know, I think it's a book that I will uh, try and teach at some point again. And it's a concept that I think I will, you know, often find myself suggesting to students who are doing this kind of work. So this is my favorite part of the podcast. And it's not because the final question marks the end of our conversation, but rather because this is where I ask the guest to sell the theorist to us. So what I mean is thinking about your own experience, teaching Colin Campbell's ideas in the classroom, reading him as an undergraduate and a graduate student, drawing on his ideas to do your own research and, and, and write a book. Uh, what would you tell undergraduates, grad students, and in this case, the larger discipline, what would you tell us for why we should engage with the task of reading Colin Campbell's work and thinking through his ideas in this contemporary moment? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think maybe there's two things with Campbell. I mean, the one is the question of how do you engage with canonical work in your field? Campbell's uh, book is a great example of, of how to do that, right? Of how to understand what's missing from like a really persuasive canonical work of sociology in the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism. Yet he's able to say like, hey, if you know, the Protestants, those industrious Protestants are producing all this stuff, and reinvesting all their money back in the businesses. Well, who's buying all the stuff, right? Doesn't there have to be something else going on on the flip side of, of all that production? You know, a consumerist ethic, and where does that come from? And it's such a great question, and it's so, so unanswered, you know, completely unaddressed, Weber. And I mean, I think that's a model for students who are sort of learning well enough what the canon says but not sure yet, well, what do I do with it? How do I, you know, find my place within the field? How do I sort of engage with and, and productively critique and build off of, you know, foundational scholars in, in ways that aren't derivative or, or something like that? And then the other is, as I think I was saying, as, or as you brought up, it, it is a really great example of interdisciplinary scholarship, you know, of just chasing down the answers that you want, you know, even though it might mean 
disregarding the disciplinary status of the methods or results that you're getting, you know, I think there's a lot of integrity to just kind of pursuing uh, the answers to some theoretical questions, you know, regardless of what disciplinary boundaries you have to cross. That's a perfect way to end the conversation. So thank you again for joining us. I enjoyed, I enjoyed learning about Colin Campbell. Thanks so much, Kyle. Appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme song, undergraduate sociologists Alicia Rios and Simone Graham for their help with the project, and most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance. Thank you.